thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Hope is born is going to be our subject, and we're going to talk about that now beginning this particular weekend and going on. Billy Graham wrote this about the reason for Christmas called a Christmas hope. He said, Christmas should be a time of renewed hope, not a hope in a particular political concept, but Christian hope. Christian hope, hope in Jesus Christ. Hope that despite all our tangled bungling, God will bring order out of chaos. At this Christmas season, you can be assured that Jesus Christ is here. He is here to give us hope, to forgive our sins, to give us a new song, to impart faith, to heal our spiritual wounds, if only we will let him. The Christmas message has not changed after 2,000 years. Christmas still reminds us that God is with us. Christmas still, in spite of all the pessimism and cynicism, in spite of all the headlines about murders, assassinations, riots, demonstrations, and war, Jesus Christ is alive. He is alive to conquer despair, to impart hope, to forgive sins, to take away our loneliness. He is alive to reconcile us to God. Billy Graham wrote that in 1969. Now think about that for a moment. I saved to the end of that to tell you when he wrote it because the world hasn't changed much. So for some silly reason, we might believe that, you know, everybody's heard the gospel. There's not much for us to do but sit around and wait for Christ to return. It's ridiculous. We still live in a world that's filled with hopelessness, filled with a lot of things that distract us and take us away from God. But the fact remains that Jesus is alive and the message is for people who need him. It's not just for the down and outers that might live on the street. It's for those that live right next door to you. Because that's our world. That person living next door, that person we work with, where we do business, that is our world. And because that is our world, Jesus came into the world to save those who are lost. So that's our world. So who represents Jesus in our world? You do, if you're a believer. So we need to stay open to minister, share our story. You know, you don't have to have a seminary degree to share about Jesus. All you have to do is share your story. Your story and conversion, coming to Christ, is the most powerful thing that you can do. So look for an opportunity to do that. Hope, one of the most powerful, energizing words in the English, English language. Hope is the power that keeps us going in the toughest of times in life. It's the power that energizes us with excitement and expectation, anticipation as we look forward to the future. Hope gives us a reason to live. It takes obstacles and transforms them into possibilities. Hope gives us the strength and the courage that we need to make the most out of life. It's been said that a person can live 40 days without food. Four days without water, four minutes without air, and four seconds without hope. 
and I believe that to be true. Hope truly is a power that energizes our life. Now, the first two verses I'm going to give you, they're, they're lengthy, but, but they're foundational to this series on hope is born. So I want, to, I want to go through those verses. You can either look them on the screens or look them on your notes. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability or unchangeable unchangeability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that two immutable things, unchangeable things, in which it is impossible... Say impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. This hope we have as an anchor to our souls or of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Say sure and steadfast. Sure and steadfast. Link it with hope, which enters into the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. That song that we just sang during our offering time, I asked for that song today because it so reminds me and puts a picture in mind. It's been written a long time ago. Actually, a group by the name of Petra first sang that song, but it's been sung over and over again in churches. Take me into the Holy of Holies. Take me past the outer courts. In other words, Lord, take me past the crowds of people. Take me beyond the hustle and the bustle of life itself and, and take me into that place, that holy of holies, where the presence of God dwells. Such a powerful song, but it's such a powerful reality and truth that that's where God wants us. That's where we find hope, as we're going to talk about in just a moment. The next verse that we find is 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to what? A living hope. It's a living hope. I like the emphasis on living. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled so that does, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Say rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Keep this up just a moment. I, I want to just emphasize, greatly rejoice, if need be grieved. Now let's read the rest of it. It says, may be found or that pray, to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, when it's all said and done, whom having not seen you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There is no doubt there are times in this life when there's going to be grieving. There's times in our life when we're going to be filled with questions that we just can't come up with answers to. Questions that I myself cannot answer nor anyone else. I officiated at a funeral this week, like I do often, and a young lady, 46 years old, with a seven-year-old child, she passed away in her sleep. They feel it was some kind of seizure, and she just passed away. Well, as I looked at the family members, I knew they were grieving, 
and people do grieve. But I knew the family itself, and they knew Jesus Christ. So in their grieving, there was a hope. It's inexpressible. It's something that you can't put your finger on, but they had this hope in there because they knew Jesus. And they knew the one who had passed on had known Christ as her Savior. And they all left a seven-year-old, and there's going to certainly be the working out of all of that that's going to have to take place. There is still that hope when you know Jesus that goes beyond the trial that we might be facing. It's a hope that each and every one of us need in our life, and that's why we're talking about it. So as I looked at the subject of hope, I simply put this down. What is it that we need? If it's such an essential part of our existence, if hope is that important to us, it's such a powerful word, then how do I get this hope? How do I keep it? How do I hold on to it? So I put on your notes, you'll see that hope help. I didn't know how else to express it. Of course, we know this is help in getting that hope, but hope help. I want to give you three things. Three things that I think will help you in this area of understanding what hope is all about and the difference between hope, yes, in a hopeless world, but hope that is confident and sure. Number one, hope help. Live in his presence. I don't want to move too quickly through this. Live in his presence. It's not something that's impossible to do. You're talking about the presence of a living God. You're talking about someone who created the earth as we know it. We talk about someone who created life, mankind, so powerful a being that sometimes we might think him to be distant or out of our reach, but that's not true at all, and he proved that through Jesus Christ. You can live in his presence. The psalm said it this way, my soul find rest in God, my hope comes from him. How does your soul find rest? It's because you're hoping God. How do you find that peace that passes all understanding? How, how does a family who all of a sudden loses a loved one, what is it that they can hold on to? Well, it's an anchor. It's a hope anchor. Their anchor is in the fact that God will work all things out for good. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 5, tells us that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and though its waters roar, roar, are troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river. Say a river. Now notice where the psalmist takes us in this prayer song. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. Now our focus is on a city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle. Our focus is on a tabernacle where God dwells. On the most high God in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. So the focus now we want to talk about is living in his presence where we find hope. Let me say this and get this, if you will. The nearer you are to that holy place, the nearer you are to the presence of God, the stronger your hope will be. And the opposite is true also. The further away from the presence of God, the less hope, the weaker your hope's going to be. So 
it really should encourage each and every one of us if we really want that kind of hope that we can hold on to as an anchor. I need to get nearer to God. Now, I emphasize that because, you see, so many people are trying to get hope by getting nearer to other things. Maybe it's finances or get nearer to, to climbing the ladder or get nearer in a relationship or, or get nearer by, by checking off things on their bucket list and therefore feel more satisfied in life. None of that can bring you the hope that the Bible talks about, that a kind of hope that doesn't go away. So being nearer to God. Moses was convinced of this. He was a great man of God, a deliverer of Israel. And he, he said that without God's presence in his life, it was useless to attempt anything. That was Moses' outlook on life. In the book of Exodus chapter 33, we get a picture of the children of Israel making their way from, from Egypt and their bondage into a promised land. And as they were going, they came to a mountain and they camped there for a while. Moses left them and went up into the mountain. You remember it was for 40 days. But it, within those 40 days, the people became impatient. Now, how many of you in here would be honest and say, I've been impatient with God many times? All right, the rest of you are in denial. <laughs> You're lying to yourself. You'll never have any victory. <laughs> Truly. Listen, I have many times been impatient with God. It's find it so hard, and my impatience didn't take 40 days, it took two days. You know, where I pray, I'm praying for an answer, I'm looking for deliverance, I'm looking for a breakthrough on the job, I'm looking for my healing. I'm looking for someone to come to know Christ as their Savior. And it just seemed year after year, it's just not happening. Well, they were impatient. And what did they do in their impatience? Think about it. What did they do? They turned away to what? Build a golden calf. So they took all their resources and everything that was given to them by the blessings of God, by the hand of God as they moved out of Egypt, and they built themselves something tangible, something they could look at, and they said, now this is what's going to lead us. This is what's going to direct our lives. Bring it up to 2016. What do we turn to that we think is going to bring our deliverance? What do we turn to the thing that brings us hope? What do we turn to that we depend on to give us guidance and lead us into prosperity? Usually a golden calf. We don't want to call it that. We don't want to believe at all that we're idol worshipers, but in all reality, we are. When we turn our focus from God to things, whatever they might be. So Moses, after this, Moses had to literally go to God and make a deal. He, he went to God and he begged for God not to destroy them in his anger. And God said, okay, Moses. And he said, you can go up into the promised land. In other words, go into the promised land I've given to you. Remember what the promised land represents: Houses that they did not build. A land flowing with milk and honey. Their own land and their own territory they could call their own. It represented everything that you could want in this life, and yet here's what Moses said, no way. God, you said we could go up, but if your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want those things. How do you live your life? Do you so hunger for the presence of God that you're willing to say, God, I don't care what you do for me. 
I don't care how much you bless me. I don't care how much financial stability I have in my account or position I have or what my relationship. Lord, nothing compares to your presence going with me each and every day. How much do you hunger for the presence of God? The very presence of God. Verse 15 says, if your president will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not taking another step, God, unless I have the promise of your presence to go with me. Moses knew that it was God's presence that set the people apart. That was, that's what made the difference in your life. God's presence, Emmanuel. Think about what the season is about. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. God's presence with mankind is what makes a difference. Moses did not want to be like other nations. He didn't want to depend on their armies or their natural resources or, or anything like that, their economy. He said, we want the presence of God. God's response was this, my presence will go with you and I will give you, notice this, rest. So the promise of God's presence would bring the rest and the hope that you need in your life, the peace that passes all understanding, that hope that is confident hope. Not only was this true for Moses, but think about it for a moment. Abraham was the same way. There was an incident in Abraham, who's the father of our faith. He, he came across a fellow by the name of Abimelech. He was a, he was a king. He was of an unbelieving nation, a heathen God, gods they trusted in. And Abimelech spoke to Moses. And in conversing with Moses, here was this heathen king who didn't know the one true God, but yet saw Abraham and he said this, God is with you in all you do. He was wondering, why is it that God is with you in all that you do? This heathen king had to recognize that there was something different about him. God preserves you, he said. God guides you. God blesses you wherever you go. It's true. The difference that you'll make is because of the difference you are. And the difference you are is if you know Christ is your Savior, you have the presence of God that rests upon your life that's recognized by others as something different than what the rest of the world has. Joshua had the same promise. He said, no man shall be able to stand before you just as I was with Moses. In other words, just like my presence was with Moses, it will be with you. Gideon, the Lord is with you. Go in the might of yours. What might? If you read that whole incident in Judges chapter 6, you find that that might represented God's presence. He said, I'm going to be with you. In Isaiah, who was one of the major prophets of the Bible, in chapter 6. Now, he had written five chapters. It's actually a letter that didn't have chapters, but he wrote the first part of this letter, which has 66 chapters in it. But he's all the way up to there, and he comes to a place in his walk. And I don't know whether he became stagnant or he became restless or he, he, he came to realize something, but he spending time with God, all of a sudden he was brought in the presence of the Holy One. He was ushered into the throne of God, and there he was exposed to things that just blew his mind. Angels with six wings flying about, singing holy, holy, holy to God. Lightnings and thunderings coming from the very throne of God. And there is Isaiah, a mere man, 
but brought into that by either vision or physically, we don't know, but brought into that. And when he was brought into this, what did he do? Well, the first thing he did, he didn't jump up and down and raise his hand and say, God, I praise you and I join the angels. No, you know what he did? He fell on his face. He realized that he was unclean. He realized that he had sin in his life. He realized that words that came out of his mouth were not the kind of words that bless people as much as maybe curse people. And he said at that particular moment, standing in the presence of God, because you see, no one can stand in the presence of God without becoming profoundly aware of his shortcomings and sin. Now, I bring that out because that has to happen first. Because if you come into the presence of God, expect to come into the presence of God with your own strength, your own gifts, your own talents, and you're, you're believing that that's what makes you worthy, you'll never really experience what the presence of God means to a person. It only happens when you fall prostrate, fall on your face before God, crying out, knowing that you're a sinful man, and that, God, I can't even be in your presence in the state that I'm in. But, think about it, because Jesus Christ what he did on the cross of Calvary, his death, his burial, and his glorious resurrection, we are brought to a place of where we're righteous. And it's not our own righteousness, it's the righteousness of Christ that we can stand in his presence. When it was all said and done at this particular setting, once the coals were brought and the cleansing took place, which is a picture of the cleansing power of the blood of Christ and what he did for you, once the cleansing takes place, boldly you can come into the throne of grace to obtain grace and mercy when you need it. Boldly. And then you're ready to go for God. And that's what happened. And God said, I, I, I want to send. He said, send me. I'm ready. I'm ready to get up and do it again, God. I came a place of stagnation. I came a place of realizing there was sin in my life. But Lord, because you've cleansed me, I am ready to go. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're ready to go. Because Jesus' blood cleanses you, makes you pure. So when the devil hits you and says, well, you're not worthy to do that, you have to go back and remind that Jesus is stronger than the sin that bound me. And I'm ready to go for Jesus. I'm ready to do what he has called me to do. The presence of God can make a world of difference. I've told this story many times before, but I know there are new people here today, and, and I, maybe you need to be reminded, but it was the presence of God that brought me to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Literal presence of God. In 1971, I was invited to Colorado for the first time. Never been here before. I'm from Pennsylvania. I was in California at the time. I had just gotten back from Vietnam. I was still in the Marines. But I came because I was invited to be best man at my brother's wedding. And as we went to the ceremony, and I stood there, and we were about midway in the ceremony itself, and if you'll picture the bride and groom standing at the altars with the maid of honors and with the men that are standing, groomsmen are standing there, that's the picture, and I'm the best man. So I'm fairly close to the couple being married, which was my brother and his future wife and the pastor. And sometime in the middle of that service, as I was just maybe looking around, but it had a cathedral ceiling pointed like this, and I noticed that a cloud was forming at the peak of that ceiling. The cloud turned out to be about five 
feet, and I'm just estimating this. I would try to go by memory here, but a cloud that formed, and I saw it. I, I saw this cloud, and it began to descend from the roof, and it came down and sat right on my brother, his wife-to-be, and the pastor. Well, this Marine who thought he had it all together and had the world by the tail and stood there, and all of a sudden, I began to cry uncontrollably. I was bawling, I was weeping, I was trembling, I was shaking. I didn't know what was going on. If you were to say, well, I, I couldn't recognize that as a presence of God. I didn't know what it was. But as I inquired at the reception, I literally was going around and asking people if they saw the cloud. And nobody saw the cloud. <laughs> but I did. I knew I did. And one young lady at that time, she came up to me and she said, George, well, I'll tell you what you saw. You saw the presence of God. I had to shake my head a little bit going away from there, but within the next three days, I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior because conviction came on my heart. I knew I wasn't living the way I should live. I knew I was headed in the wrong direction. And in a moment's time, I never touched a Bible in my life, 24 years old, and I was convicted by the presence of God that brought me into a victorious life. God be praised, amen? And it all happens, yeah. Now, hopefully you're applauding for the power of God and what it means to be in his presence. But it was manifested to me in a cloud. It wasn't the first time a cloud appeared, you know. The children of Israel were led by a cloud through the wilderness by the presence of God. God's presence has been with me since that day. I guarantee his presence has been with me. Now, I don't want to brag on on myself or anything that I've accomplished because it's only because of God's presence in my life. But I will say this, in spite of myself, God's presence was with me. In spite of you, it's all a gift. It's grace, it's mercy extended to you. Not because you've done anything. I certainly did nothing to deserve God manifesting his presence to me. Jesus coming to this earth 2,000 years ago brings this truth alive because it brought God nearer to man. That strengthens our hope. The nearer you are to God, the stronger your hope will be. It was a long time ago that in a moment of inspiration, I have to say it was inspiration. Again, I'm not bragging on myself. And I, I don't do this. I don't think this might have been one of two times that this has happened to me. But I, I was in a time of prayer and obviously in thinking about God and his presence and all that he did for me. And I wrote a poem. I put it on the back of your notes. And I want to just read those words because those words once again came alive to me this week. And it strengthened my hope once again in this God that I believe in. And it's simply entitled, Closer to Jesus. Closer to Jesus I would be, closer, closer to Jesus only to see. Closer to Jesus is warm embrace. Closer to Jesus to look on his face. Closer to Jesus, a lifelong desire. Closer to Jesus, my heart on fire. Closer to Jesus to say his name. Closer to Jesus, never again the same. Closer to Jesus to stand so still. Closer to Jesus to know his will. Closer to Jesus is my choice. Closer to Jesus to hear his voice. 
Closer to Jesus is full control. Closer to Jesus to be made whole. Closer to Jesus to end self-quest. Closer to Jesus to be at rest. Closer to Jesus, my high tower. Closer to Jesus in life's final hour. That meant much to me then, and it's really my story and my testimony to be closer to Jesus. Let me take you to number two, another hope help if I can, and that is this, depend on his character. You want to live in his presence, but we want to depend on his character, his character. Hebrews chapter 6 tells it this way, it is impossible, say impossible, for God to lie. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. We all know what an anchor and its purpose is. We'll talk about that further on later on in some of our messages here. But it's an anchor. It's something that holds us in a place of security and confidence. Now, we use the word hope often. If you think about it, we almost use it on a daily basis. But we use it in ways that really do not describe what the Bible talks about. For instance, we might say something like this. A little girl might say, I hope mom gets home early so we can make cookies together. That's her hope. I hope this happens. Or I hope the company that I work for does well so we can get a Christmas bonus. So we hope for that. Or I hope the Broncos do well so we can go to the Super Bowl again. So we say that. We say that today. Ordinarily, when we use the word hope, there's an uncertainty expressed rather than a certainty. you got to get this. When we say things like that, there's an uncertainty in the words itself, in the phrase itself, rather than a certainty. I'm uncertain that mom will get home in time to bake the cookies. I really want her to get home. I really desire for her to get home. But there's an uncertainty. We don't know for sure if the company will do good, but it would be nice if they did. Or if we get, get a few breaks and our defense does well and we can get a dozen or so turnovers every game, we might go back to the Super Bowl. There's an uncertainty about it. The biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. There's a certainty attached to biblical hope. Why am I uncertain? Mom will get home in time to bake. Mom unintentionally could get distracted. The company's success depends on the economy. Broncos' success based on their skills or the injuries that might happen. So all of those things are susceptible, think about it, to the world that we live in. There's no anchor. Biblical hope is rooted in my confidence in God's infallibility. God's infallibility. In other words, he is incapable of error. Incapable. Not capable of being wrong or making any mistakes. He won't be distracted. The economy doesn't distract him. He cares about the Broncos a little. But that's not his world. And that ought not to be our world. Might be the world that we live in, but it's not the world that really belongs to us because we have another world. And our anchor is something even far greater than that. 
What God has said about our future is both sure and steadfast because we're basing it on his character. Impossible for him to lie. Cannot make a mistake. We'll never make an error. We'll never get distracted. It's focused at all times. His character. I can depend on his character. The third one is that we need to wait for his promises. So live in his presence, depend on his character and wait then for his promises. Think about the promises a moment. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 said, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is what? Faithful. So God promised where hope is based on his promises. In 1886, a fellow by the name of Kelso Carter uh, composed a famous hymn that many of you know in this room and could sing it along with me. It's called Standing on the Promises of God. How many of you remember that song, Standing on the Promises of God? All right, are you ready? Standing on the promises of God my Savior. Oh, I thought you'd jump in more than that because here you're, you're letting me hang. And I'm not going to sing it if you're going to let me hang. But no, we sing it. It's a great song, Standing on the Promises of God. I looked up that song. And that song, by the way, although it was written in 1886, you will not believe the artists all along the ages, even up till today, that have sung that song. Country singers sing it. Big choirs sing it, both in black churches, white churches, Asian churches, all around the world. Stand, that song is known. I can sing it by heart. Not all the verses, but here's how some of the verses go. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. There are two more stanzas to that. But just words that resonate with theology, actually. Actually, doctrine is in these songs that we can stand on these promises because of the assurity of the faithfulness of God and his promises. Through all the storms of life, whatever might come your way, there's a confident hope, expectation that God's promise will come through. Someday, someday. There are thousands of promises in the Bible. Some say as little as 6,000. I used to camp on that. There are 6,000 promises. Others say there are up to 30,000 promises in the Bible. I do not know for sure, but I would like someone in here to count them. <laughs> and when you get a count of them, would you send that to me in an email? But I want every promise written down. So if there are 30,000 of them, no, really, there are just lots of promises is the point of the promises of God. But here's God's promise. Now, you got to get this. Are you ready? God's promises are found in his covenants. That's important to see. These promises are based on a covenant that God has made. First of all, think about a covenant that God made with Noah. After the flood took over the earth and destroyed everything, he made a promise to Noah, that he would never flood or destroy the earth again with water. And as a covenant, what did he do? 
put a rainbow in the sky. Now, a rainbow is not just a story told to children. It's not a fairy tale. It's a fact. It's reality. Up until that time, there was never a rainbow in the sky, and there are a whole other, lot of reasons why there weren't. But that rainbow, every time I, I see that rainbow, it's beautiful. My kids will talk about it, and we share about it. But you know what's behind that? Is a covenant that God made, and he made a promise with that covenant. So I know his promises will come true because of the covenant of the rainbow. He also made a covenant with Abraham. When he called Abraham, and Abraham was clueless at this time, he said, listen, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless your family, and your family's going to expand as the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. And he had no children when he said this. And the older his wife had gotten, do you think that maybe he wavered a little bit? a little bit, but immediately moved from that wavering to trust that promise. He made a covenant when he made that promise. There was a sacrifice. There was the cutting and dividing of animals. I don't have time to go into the story where he walked through the midst of it. Listen, Moses, uh, Abraham didn't walk through. God walked through. And let me tell you why. God's covenant, sometimes God made a covenant with me. Or God made a covenant with mankind. No, God did not make a covenant with you or with mankind. God made a covenant with himself. I know you're looking at me and say, what does that mean? He made it with himself. Why? Because you see, God is faithful, dependable on himself. He cannot lie. So he made a covenant with himself. And the covenant was based on himself. We were brought into it by faith and grace through Jesus Christ, but he made a covenant with himself. He made a covenant with the nation of Israel through Abraham, and he said, listen, I'm going to bless the nation of Israel, raise them up, and they're going to be a blessing to all the earth. And he was because Jesus, the Messiah, was a Jew who came in fulfillment of that covenant, and all the peoples of the earth have an opportunity to be blessed. That's what this hope is all about, is born. Is it faithful and true? It was probably hard for Israel to believe it when they were scattered throughout the world. It was hard for mankind to believe it prior to 1948 when Israel was not yet a nation again. But in 1948, God came through with his word and he brought them back from the four quarters of the world miraculously to prove to the world that we look to the nation of Israel today and we say God made a covenant and a promise and he was faithful. God made a covenant to the prophets. It was through the prophets and the prophecies. And you know what the promise was? That a Messiah would come in the future. They needed a Messiah. They were crying out for a deliverer. Guess what? Jesus Christ came. We look back now 2,000 years in the fulfillment of that. How many promises have God made that you have laid hold of but yet haven't come about yet? They will because he made a covenant with himself. Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, says a mediator of a better, say better, of a better covenant which was established on better promises. And what's better about it? First of all, the covenants and promises were based on the, the cutting and the sacrifice of bulls and calves and sheep and things like that. But the covenant that God has made is through the precious blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. How much more can God give for the fulfillment of the promise and what he's already given. Never say, what God, what have you done for me lately, God? He's already done everything he can for you. Now we have to lay hold 
of what he has done. Hold fast. Romans chapter 4 and verse 18 says, hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised once again is faithful to us. He is faithful to us. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. It will be counted to us who believed in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. He, in hope he believed against all hope. How many times, I can't tell you how many times you have and you will in the future against all physical evidence, against all visible assurance, you can hope in God. Don't look for the physical manifestation of it. Look to God who made the promise and made the covenant. And it might not happen when you want it to happen. It might not happen when the world wants it to happen. But it's going to happen. 2 Corinthians, listen carefully to this verse, chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, for all, say all, all the promises of God find their yes in him. Yes to the promise because they're in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen. You know what amen means? Let it be done. Lord, let it happen just the way. So we say amen to someone who says something. Let it happen what they said, what God said. To God, for whose glory? For God's glory. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.